Guys, do you remember the days when you were always ready to go? Now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. Listen up. Blue Chew, that's blue like the color blue. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach, and since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as the pill, so you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. Now, this isn't just for guys who can't perform. It's for any guy who wants that extra function to enhance their performance in the bedroom. For instance, you know, a lot of guys talk a big game, but if you're a one-and-done kind of guy, Blue Chew can even help you get to round number two. Blue Chew is prescribed online and shipped straight to your door in a discreet package, so no in-person doctor's visits, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than the pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for all our listeners. Visit bluechew.com and get your first shipment free when using our special promo code locked on. Just pay the $5 shipping. Again, that's B L U E chew.com. Promo code locked on. L O C K E D O N to try Blue Chew for free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. You are Locked On Buccaneers, your daily Tampa Bay Buccaneers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Forfeit the game before somebody else takes you out of the frame. Put your name to shame, cover up your face. You can't run the race, the pace is too fast, you just won't last. What's up and welcome to Crossover Wednesdays here on the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm James Yarko, one of the hosts of Locked On Bucks. Joined by Aaron Freeman, the host of Locked On Falcons. Aaron, how you doing? I'm doing great, James. Glad to be here back talking with you. Looking forward to this upcoming matchup between the Falcons and Bucks. And then, of course, later in the season, we'll get another one. So uh, a lot of things that we can sort of learn with this matchup uh, coming up on Sunday that we'll have uh, applications in Week 17 for whichever team at that point in time is shooting for the best possible draft pick. Yeah, it's uh, it's a little late. You know, usually you you and I are talking earlier in the season as far as the Bucks and Falcons are concerned. But here in in week twelve, we have the hashtag battle for the basement, and uh, it's funny. I I wrote in an in an article for Bucks Nation. I I do a Monday morning column, and I kind of laid out the remaining six games that the Buccaneers have, and I had basically alluded to the fact that I believed the Falcons would win this game and the Bucks would win the week 17 matchup because the Bucks have a propensity to win the final game of the season when it means absolutely nothing except for tanking their draft stock. Yes, that, that is often the case. Although last year that was not the case where the Falcons uh, came from behind. I think they came back from like three scores to beat the Bucs. I think that's actually the only time the Falcons have ever come back from like a three-score deficit in the Matt Ryan era to win a football game. And they managed to do that. And it wound up costing about seven spots in the draft and certainly angered a lot of Falcon fans who had their eye on certain pass rushers that would have been available in the top 10 of the draft and, and wound up the Falcons settling for a solid offensive lineman. But unfortunately, he got hurt early in the season, so we really haven't had that draft pick pay off. So uh, a lot of mixed emotions when it comes to, you know, week 17 matchups between the Falcons and Bucks, and we'll sort of see what shenanigans these two teams get up to uh, later this year. But obviously, 
we got a matchup on Sunday that's going to be very interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And let's let's go ahead and dive into that. And and Aaron, it it's been a it's been a rough rough year for the Falcons. Uh, but back to back, really impressive wins. Noticed that that the the defense has seemed to really come on in these last two games. You know, beating the Panthers, beating the Saints, and it just happens to coincide with the move to take Raheem Morris from the wide receivers coach over to the defensive backs coach. Is is the defense that much more improved because of Raheem Morris? It's an interesting question. It's been a topic that I've been discussing quite a bit on Locked On Falcons these last couple of weeks. Uh, I think Raheem Morris has something to do with it. They've been much improved, at least as far as their ability on the field in terms of third downs and two-minute drill, which is where Raheem Morris has sort of taken over the play calling. Originally, Dan Quinn was calling the defense. Then about week six, amidst their uh, you know six-game losing streak, the Falcons decided to give linebackers coach Jeff Ulbrich a shot at play calling. And then since the bye week, Raheem Morris has also been sharing those duties with Ulbrich. Um, but I think really the, the big thing for the defensive turnaround has been that their pass rush has been on point these last couple of weeks. They've had 11 combined sacks against the Saints and Panthers these past couple of weeks. They've gotten a bunch of pressures. I think they've hit Drew Brees and Kyle Allen a combined 21 times in the past two weeks. So it's one of those things where I feel like the pass rush coming alive has made things much easier on a defense. But certainly I think the secondary has been less prone to giving up big plays than they were earlier in the season. And one of the things that Raheem Morris was trying to work very hard on when he switched sides of the ball was to help improve the communication, help improve some of the technique of players on the back end. And I think that has you know manifested itself. In, in subtle ways and has led to some of this success, but I think mostly it's been the pass rush. Well, Bucks fans are excited to hear about that after Jameis Winston was beaten to within an inch of his life by the Saints pass rush this past week. Yeah, I, I you know, <laughs> hopefully I think the Falcons pass rush can uh, show up again for a third week in a row. They got another prime matchup against this Bucks offensive line. Uh, so we'll see if they can take care of business because, you know, one of the interesting things about this falcons bucks matchup is Jameis usually plays some of the best football he's ever played in his life against this Falcons defense, at least historically. So, you know, the Falcons have been a bit of a get right team for a lot of teams this season. And uh, we'll see if the Bucks can sort of get some of their issues right this week against this uh, Falcons defense that at least based off of the last two weeks looks, you know, pretty good. Uh, but in the previous six looked anything but. Well, and another familiar face the Buccaneers fans are going to see is, of course, Falcons offensive coordinator Dirk Cutter. Um, he had some things to say about about playing against the Bucs, and, and he said that outside of the two games that, that the Falcons play the Bucs, he's a Jameis Winston fan, He, which I don't believe, by the way. Um, he talked <laughs> about how... <laughs> He was he was excited to see some guys again, but some other guys not so much. The Falcons offense has not been the the dynamic offense that we have seen over over the past few years this season. Is, does that have to do? Do you think with the with the play calling by Dirk Cutter? I mean, Matt Ryan is is turning the ball over 
far more than he normally does. It doesn't seem like they're having those major offensive outputs. It doesn't seem like Julio or or Ridley are, are having those huge games. There has been an uptick for, for Austin Hooper, but of course, as Buccaneers fans know, Dirk Cutter loves to utilize the tight end. We're going from from a guy that was heavily utilizing OJ Howard and Cameron Bray to a, a offense in Tampa now that barely features the tight end. So it's kind of a drastic change. But what what's been going on with, with the Falcons offense? Do you think it's it's a matter of, of the scheme adjustment taking more time? Is perception not quite reality? Kind of give us a rundown as to what's going on with the with the offense here uh in the first eleven weeks of the season. Yeah, I know Lockdown Falcons listeners are probably rolling their eyes because you just gave me a, a perfect platform to complain about Dirk Cutter, which I have done frequently <laughs> on this podcast. This so uh, for the Locked On Bucks fans, the you know the the condensed version, uh, you know that yeah, I think the play calling has been an issue. It's been something that has been very erratic this season. You know, one of the issues that the Falcons have been dealing with is you know they were trying to sort of hybridize what Dirk Cutter was successfully able to do in the past, as well as some of the principles that Kyle Shanahan had brought uh, to Atlanta several years ago and, and now is working with in San Francisco. And they really haven't necessarily meshed uh, this season, particularly with the play action passing. One of the things that was positive this past week against Carolina is that they did dial up a lot of play action and it was very uh, effective against the Panthers defense. But that's been very hit and miss. There's been very few opportunities, and they've kind of struggled in, in several weeks being able to dial up shot plays, particularly in, the, in earlier in the season when they were playing from behind and needing to get back into the game quickly. They really struggled to do that because their offense is much more geared around dinking and dunking. The running game hasn't been at, really at all effective outside of a handful of games um, this season. Uh, and, you know, the offensive line play hasn't been great. It's been a it's been a mixed bag with Dirk Cutter. Um, the offense is functional, but certainly, as you mentioned, it hasn't lived up to the standards and the expectations that this team has played under the last couple of years. People constantly complained about Steve Sarkeesian, myself included, the pre, two previous years as the play caller, and the expectation was Dirk Cutter's experience, uh, his ability to play in this league, would allow him to sort of come in and not experience these sort of um, initial first year struggles that we saw that not only played Steve Sarkeesian, but also Kyle Shanahan when he first arrived. And it seems like the dip has been even bigger under Dirk Cutter. So I, I think play calling, it has been a major issue. There have been positive moments. Certainly the last two weeks, the Falcons have gotten off to better starts this season, but that has been a major, major issue for this team. They get off to these slow starts. They're down. You know, they only can score three points in the first quarter, seven points in the second quarter, and they get into these holes where the, and the defense was getting exposed regularly. In previous years, the defense would always be able to play with a lead or often be able to play with a lead, and that allowed the defense to do some of the, the best things that they could do. And I think they've done that the last couple of weeks, but it still hasn't quite lived up to the expectations of – being that potent Falcons offense, they've struggled in the red zone the last couple of weeks. So it, it's still a mixed bag. It's, it's made gains since the bye week, but it, it's still lacking in regard to living up to the usual standards that we've seen with this Falcons offense over the years. At the end of a hard week, it's great to sit down, take some time off, and watch some football. Game-winning touchdowns on two-minute drives, running backs racing down the sidelines with no one to stop them. There's nothing else like the NFL, and there's no better way to make the games even more exciting than to bet on them. 
So do the smart thing and go to mybookie.ag. No one gives you more ways to win than they do. MyBookie's got the fastest payouts and better lines than any other sports book. Don't forget where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on, and mybookie.ag is the best in the business. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, try a parlay. If all your picks come through, you'll multiply your winnings. And no matter how you bet, the NFL season is the best time of year. Join now and MyBookie will double your first deposit. Use promo code Locked On to activate this offer. That's promo code Locked On. L O C K E D O N. Visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. Yeah, and two key members of that offense, uh, Devontae Freeman and Austin Hooper, they missed last week against the Panthers. What what is the feeling around those two this week? Are are, are we set to see them make their return? Uh, or do you do you believe that both of them are going to to miss another week uh, you know in this game coming up against the bucks? Well, Dan Quinn was quick to point out earlier this week that you know they haven't ruled them out for this week. Um, I think that's just Dan Quinn using that sort of injury reports subterfuge, you know, just to be like, yeah, we haven't ruled them out, so you gotta you know tell tell Todd Bowles to prepare for these guys as if they're gonna play. but I, I think, there's a pretty strong likelihood that barring some sort of miracle, both of those guys will miss another week. The initial reports surrounding Freeman was that he would miss at least two weeks. Uh, uh, and, you, you know, obviously one of those weeks was last week. You know, there was less um, indicators of sort of exactly what the timeline would be for Austin Hooper. But given the, the severity of that knee injury, the, the MCL strain or sprain, um, usually that's been reported as a, a two to four week injury. So it's one of those things where barring, you know, miraculous healing that has occurred over the last couple of days, you can probably expect those guys to miss certainly this week and possibly future weeks. All right. And Aaron, the last one that I have for you on on the Falcon side is is let's let's talk Matt Ryan just a little bit. You know, this is a guy that has gone from you know, league MVP, Super Bowl quarterback um and and it seems like he's he's kind of on a decline what are you seeing in regards to Matt Ryan's game specifically that that has caused some issues this year or does this go back to to the what what you talked about with with Dirk Cutter and and the play calling and kind of the the scheme or are are we starting to see Matt Ryan slide you know, the the beginning of the slide kind of like we've seen now with with Philip Rivers, not not quite that drastic, but you know, is is this a guy whose best days are behind him? Well, I don't think his, uh, you know, uh, probably yeah. As far as like MVP level, yeah, I think probably his best days are behind him as far as that goes. But I still think Matt Ryan has several prime seasons left. I do, okay. however, don't feel like he has played his best football and played to the standard that he has played in, in previous years. I do wonder how much of that is not being comfortable with the scheme as Dirk Cutter has been calling it. I think one of the expectations going into this year was that because of Dirk Cutter's familiarity with Matt Ryan from his previous stint as the play caller in Atlanta, that they would get on the same page relatively quickly. And I don't really see that uh, based off of, of Matt Ryan. I think Matt Ryan has played reasonably well this season, but it hasn't been that sort of top three, top five type of quarterback that he has been for, you know, the last three uh, plus seasons. It's more like he's back to being that top 10, top 12 type of guy, which is, you know, I'm sure Bucks fans are like, oh, 
big guy crying about a top 10 quarterback. <laughs> but it, it is one of those things where I do feel like, you know, that has been a, a factor in um, some of the issues that the Falcons have had. He hasn't been able to get off to these fast starts. I think a lot of that is more play calling than necessarily Matt Ryan's performance. But there's been a few too many mistakes, a few too many miscues in the red zone this season that have cost the Falcons points. And because they had this sort of thin margin for error in previous games where their defense really couldn't stop anybody, they couldn't afford any any failed opportunities. They had to be perfect in the red zone. They had to to basically get points whenever they were driving down the field, and they weren't able to achieve that. And I think some of that blame does rest on some uh, questionable throws by Matt Ryan in those instances. But I think for the most part, I, I still feel confident that with you know a change of coaches and a, a coaching staff next year, presumably that will be able to bring in you know a different offense that Matt Ryan can rebound and and still play at a reasonably high level. Uh, for the next several years here in Atlanta. All right. Um, yeah, let's uh, let's go ahead and, and flip it over to the the Buccaneers side. And and so, Aaron, what are uh, what are the pressing uh, pressing questions that that you and the Falcons fans have about the Bruce Arians led Buccaneers that are are much more disappointing than many people anticipated. Yeah, I mean, we were just talking about the Falcons quarterback. I, I got to ask you about the Bucks quarterback. I know Jameis Winston is in a contract year. A big reason why the Bucks hired Bruce Arians was to, quote-unquote, fix Jameis Winston. Yeah, I know he's had some very positive games this season, certainly statistically, and then he's had some of the struggles, particularly in recent weeks with the turnovers and sort of the, quote-unquote, old Jameis returning and being that turnover uh, king, that turnover emperor, maybe you could say. Uh, with leading the league with 18 interceptions. Um, what are your thoughts on sort of the progress or potentially the re- the regression that Jameis Winston has shown this season? A lot of times it's, it's kind of, you, you get to a point where you just kind of shrug your shoulders and you say, well, same old, same old. Now, Bruce Arians did come out and say that 10 of the 18 interceptions were on Jameis. And I mean, I don't know which one specifically he's talking about, but there have been plenty of times that David and I on the Locked On Bucks podcast have talked about some of these interceptions that go against Jameis that really aren't his fault. You know, we've seen receivers run some wrong routes. And when you when you run the wrong route on a timing route, there's no adjustment because the ball's already out of the quarterback's hands. And now the the receiver's running the wrong way or turning too late. Um, In the case last week, you had. OJ Howard trying to make a circus catch because he took his eye off the ball before he secured it in his hands. So now he gets batted into the air and, and a linebacker intercepts it. So we have seen some strides in the decision-making of Jameis. Granted, some of some of those strides have led to him being sacked more often because instead of forcing a ball, he's holding on to it, trying to create something, trying to get outside of the pocket or, or whatever. And he's, and he's being sacked. But then you have those, those other cases like against the saints when there's four interceptions or against the Panthers where they turn the ball over. God, what was it? Six or seven times. Um, yeah, he's had a couple of, of pick sixes where you just shake your head and, and you say, well, you know, same old Jameis. So, it it's difficult to kind of pin down. I I had said on on yesterday's episode of Locked On Bucks that 
Am I going to be upset if Jameis Winston returns to the Buccaneers next year? No, absolutely not. I, I do. I like Jameis. But I think it's best for both of these both of these parties to move on. Give Jameis an opportunity somewhere else because he is a starting caliber quarterback in this league. Despite his issues, despite his problems, he is a starting caliber quarterback. He is one of the best 32 quarterbacks in the NFL, and he will start somewhere but maybe it's best for him to start elsewhere and and the buccaneers take the opportunity to move on to somebody else maybe you know the situation in tampa is too far gone i don't know that's kind of my my outside looking in perspective but yeah to to uh answer your question a little more directly we've we've seen both sides we've seen the improvements of the quote unquote fixing of Jameis, but we've seen him resort to his, his old self and trying to make too much happen and creating mistakes. And you talked about um, some of the issues that the Bucks have had with their offensive line. And obviously we talked a little bit about the Falcons pass rush, really, um, you know, getting things going these last couple of weeks. I, I'm curious, sort of looking at this Bucks offensive line, do you feel like, you know, one of the surprises for me, at least a little bit, was the decision to pay, you know, Donovan Smith uh, to sort of be the left tackle when he, you know, had a very inconsistent career in Tampa Bay. Um, but I'm curious, sort of get your thoughts on on this offensive line and whether or not, you know, they have what it takes to, you know, protect Jameis and, and prevent some of these mistakes that you're talking about where, you know, maybe pressure is leading to some errant throws and, and those are opportunities that defenses are, are really exploiting. My my view would be this. As far as Donovan Smith is concerned, and this is something David and I have talked about, but but for, you know, the Falcons side that that look at that and, and laugh and say, why would the Bucs re-sign Donovan Smith other than the fact that they're the Bucs? When you take a look at the landscape of left tackle this past offseason, whether it was in the open market or in the draft, there were no options better than Donovan Smith. And especially for the money that the Buccaneers could afford to pay. Now they're not paying Donovan Smith, you know, elite left tackle money. He's pretty much middle of the row. And that's the kind of performance they get out of Donovan Smith is, is he has some great plays and he has some absolutely abysmal plays where he just gets put on skates. Um, as far as the draft was concerned, the Buccaneers were drafting high enough that they could have taken a left tackle, but there were no left tackles in this draft worth taking. Uh, you know, the best one was was that kid, I, I can't remember his name now, the, the kid out of Alabama who was drafted by Cincinnati. He's missed his entire rookie season due to injury. And David and I talked about it when we were in Indianapolis and, and covering the combine. That kid's not going to make it as a left tackle in the NFL. He's he's he needs to convert to guard or he's going to get eaten alive. So the the Bucks were stuck between a rock and a hard place. They had to have a left tackle. It's better to work with the devil, you know, than the devil you don't. So they gave him a modest contract and he's basically playing modest football. As far as the rest of the offensive line is, look, I love Ryan Jensen. But the fact that we are 11 weeks into the NFL season and he's still snapping the ball at the wrong time, creating 
problems for the offense or creating turnovers for the defense is inexcusable. The only player on this offensive line that should be considered safe is Ali Marpet. Ali Marpet is one of the best guards in the NFL. He is one of the most drastically underrated players in the NFL, and he's the only one on the offensive line worth a crap. Um, I love DeMar Dotson, but you can tell how old he is when you watch him play. Uh, Kappa shows a lot of promise. I like the improvements that I've seen out of Kappa. I I like the way his career is, uh, is projecting at the moment. I want to see more of it, but I would say the interior of this line by and large is, is good enough to stay together. If the Bucks got rid of Jensen, I would not be upset as much as I like him. He's been on the show. He's he's a great dude. But if they got rid of Jensen, if they got rid of DeMar Dotson, if they got rid of Donovan Smith, I'm not on the podcast shedding any tears. But this offensive line has paid way too much money to perform as poorly as they do. And having your quarterback knocked around the way he was against Atlanta or having the pass rush get to him, creating mistakes, creating fumbles, forcing errant passes. That's why we say not all these turnovers are on Jameis. You know, a lot of the, a lot of this is, is on the offensive line for giving him less than two seconds to get rid of the ball. So yeah, hearing that the Falcons pass rush is starting to get it together. Of course that would happen right before they play the Buccaneers, but it it does cause some concern because this offensive line just can't handle it. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the Bucks defense. And you, you talked about this um, with me off the air, you, you know, talking a little bit about Jamel Dean and sort of uh, you, you did a whole podcast or seemingly half a podcast devoted to talking about that idea. We know they drafted Carlton Davis, at least from my perspective, largely to deal with Julio Jones. Julio Jones has really wreaked havoc all over this Bucks secondary for, you know, basically – Ever. almost a decade at this point in time. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, they just cut Vernon Hargreaves, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago. So this this Bucks secondary is up in the air. Their safety play hasn't necessarily been great from what I can tell. So uh, I'm curious, sort of, do you feel like Todd Bowles has something up his sleeve that can get this secondary to at least maybe not get completely uh, destroyed by Julio Jones for what seemingly is like the, the 12th or 13th time uh, over these last couple of years. Yeah. If the Buccaneers head into this Sunday's game with the game plan of, they are going to man up against Julio and Ridley, which is a, a, a terrifying thought to begin with. But if that's their game plan, then the two corners that they need to have out there doing that, are Carlton Davis and Jamel Dean, without a doubt. Both of them are the better press man corners. Both of them have really good size. They can match up better against these Falcons receivers than a Vernon Hargraves did. Um, you know, so I that that's what I would want to see. If they go into this game with a similar game plan that they had against the Saints, that's not Jamel Dean's strong point. That's not that's not his strength. That's where you get Sean Murphy bunting in there and you're you're having Mike Edwards play in the slot. But Bruce Arians even said after the game, you know, he wants to get Jamel Dean out on the field some more. Well, 
you know, I get it, Bruce, you're the head coach, you have control over that. But when you're trusting Todd Bowles to put together the game plan and he's putting his best players out there to execute said game plan, then you can't go up to him and say, look, I don't care what your game plan is and what the strengths are of, of the guys uh, on the field are get Jamel Dean out there. It's not going to work. So I, I do want to see more out of Dean. He had a terrible game against Seattle. He had a, a great game against Arizona. But Atlanta's skill set and, and talent and skill position players are far closer to Seattle than they are Arizona. And even then, Arizona still put up a ton of points. So I want to I continue to see the growth because I do believe that Jamel Dean has a bright future ahead of him. But he needs that in-game experience. And at this point, you're not fighting for a wild card spot. At three and seven, you're not you're not going to the postseason. There was a glimmer of hope if you had if if you had beaten the Saints and moved to four and six, and you still had a couple of division games left. You still have the Lions, you still have the Jaguars. Like there, there's some hope there. Three and seven, you're done. So we need to see what these players on the roster have. And what needs to be addressed in the offseason? Granted, you know, I, I think I have a pretty good idea as to what directions they need to go in, but I do want to see more out of Dean. So if if the game plan is look, we have to we have to man up against these Falcons receivers. We're gonna have safety help coming down or, or going over the top, you know, to, to try to minimize Julio, then I want to see Dean out there for 85-90% of these snaps. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. So you know, I guess the uh, the the plan could potentially be you know get these guys. Uh, you know, I don't want to count my chickens before they hatch, but like potentially to take their lumps um, from some of these Falcons receivers um, and, and see what they can do against these guys uh, for the future. Um, so uh, James, you know, what are some of the key matchups that you're looking forward uh, to in this game? Uh, I, I think the key matchup for the Bucks is going to be in the trenches, and it's going to be what what we just talked about. As far as, <clears throat> excuse me, you have an improved Falcons pass rush right now that is playing some of their best football all season these past two weeks in divisional games, going up against an offensive line that struggled mightily last week. So is the offensive line going to be able to neutralize that pass rush and give Jameis Winston the amount of time that he needs to be able to get the ball to Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, uh, Cam Brate, maybe OJ Howard if if he's out of uh, if he's out of Bruce's doghouse, or are we going to have a situation like we did against the Saints where this pass rush is just bludgeoning? Uh, Jameis Winston over the head, they're going to fall behind. And instead of can, you know, sticking to the run game, trying to reestablish the run and neutralize the pass rush, are we going to see Winston drop back over 50 times again? Because that's not a recipe for success. You look at, <clears throat> goodness, you look at the Minnesota Vikings. And trust me, I realize as as great and as improved as Ronald Jones has been this year, he is no Dalvin Cook. I get it. But the Minnesota Vikings were getting bodied by the Denver Broncos. And the way they came back in that game was by sticking with the run. 
They kept feeding Dalvin Cook. They didn't panic. They didn't overreact. They kept the ball in the hands of their playmaking running back. And that's what Ronald Jones is. Again, not on the same level as Dalvin Cook, but he's your best running back. He can get out in space and catch the ball and create plays. And when you have an offensive coordinator who only called six rushing plays all game and you have Winston drop back 51 times against a pass rush that hit him 14 or 15 times, you're not going to come back that way. It's going to create more mistakes. So the key is in the trenches and then a, a, a side key as far as key matchups is Byron Leftwich versus himself. You know, is he going to panic if the Buccaneers go down in this game and completely abandon the run like he did against the Saints or against the Panthers in London? As far as as key matchups that that you're looking at, uh, Aaron, what what are you uh, what are you looking for? I'm I'm on the same page with you. I'm, uh, it's all about the trenches to me because, as I said at the top, you know, Jameis Winston, say what you will about him, balls out against the Falcons and. This Falcons defense has uh, turned things around these last couple of weeks, but I'm still a little skeptical to, to truly buy in. Um, and I want to see this pass rush get after Jameis because if they're going to stop Jameis Winston, it's going to start up front. Um, I do not trust this Falcons secondary against these Bucks receivers in Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. Um, or at least I don't trust the non-Desmond Trufant and uh, Kendall Sheffield Falcon secondary against Mike Evans is what I will sit there and say. So I, I really think it's going to happen um, with uh, the Falcons pass rush taking pressure off of the secondary and not allowing some of these Bucks playmakers that have had some big moments in some of these recent matchups, um, you know, to, to put pressure on Jameis, get after him. As you say, the Bucks are probably not going to be as one dimensional, certainly won't try to be as one-dimensional as they were a week ago. So that's going to rely on this front to stop the run on early downs and get the Bucks into some third and longs, force them to, you know, throw the ball on those third downs and 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 be able to pin their ears back and get after the quarterback. That's been something that they've been successful at doing these last couple of weeks. And I want to see this pass rush continue to look like the unit that they have looked the last couple of weeks. And one of my concerns for them is that they are dealing with some injuries. Adrian Claiborne, suffered a, a growing injury. He's been arguably their best pass rusher these past two weeks, having wreaked havoc on uh, Teron Armstead and uh, Greg Little these past couple of games. Tack McKinley is dealing with a shoulder injury. You know, you have Grady Jarrett going up against, as you say, the Bucks' best offensive lineman and Ali Marpet on the interior. So it's one of those things where the Falcons' pass rush isn't going to be at full strength this week. And can they get the guys that will be playing to up their level um, along with some of the other guys like the Allen Bailey's, like the Vic Beasley's, um, to also sort of elevate their game and provide some of that pressure to fill the void left by potentially Claiborne and McKinley um, if they're limited come Sunday. So that's what I really want to see. That's going to be the key matchup um, because I've seen it enough over the last five years that if you give Jameis Winston enough time, um, he will pick apart this Falcons defense as he has done many times. And so that's going to be the the key matchup I'm looking for. All right. And with that, Aaron, let's get over to score predictions. 
who is uh who's moving up in the standings which team is going to stay in the basement that they are uh they are currently tied for and uh what do you see the final score being well i i joked on last week's crossover with the locked on panthers guy bill rossetti uh that i don't had had many opportunities to pick the falcons this year and actually them win the game um and i did that last week and they won so let's keep the mojo going and i'll, I'll pick the falcons to win this one uh, again uh, see if we can keep this uh, positivity train moving and i'm thinking it's going to be a score i think it's gonna be a close game i think it's going to be something like a 27 to 24 type of win for the falcons um and of course if you're a falcon fan you always want the bucks kicking game to get involved because that has perennially let them down. Although I know their rookie kicker has, uh, from what all reports has done a pretty good job there uh, this season. So the Falcons are dealing with their own kicker issues. So it would be quite uh, entertaining and ironic if, if it does come down to a kicking duel and it goes in the Bucks' favor as opposed to the Falcons' favor. But we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I mean, uh, Jason Light may get some some grief for drafting Roberto Aguayo and then turning around and drafting another kicker just a few years later. But Matt Gay is the truth. This kid is a stud. He had a bad day against the New York Giants, and since then he's missed one kick. So yeah, I'll uh, I'll be interesting to see if uh, uh, you know the the kicking woes can continue. Of course, you know Buccaneers fans always joked, you know, the curse of of Matt Bryant, you know, they, they let Matt Bryant go to the Falcons and, and he was a nightmare ever since. And then the Falcons get rid of Matt Bryant. They have their kicking problems. They even try to bring him back to break the curse of Matt Bryant and, and Matt Bryant himself was cursed. So, um, yeah, it's, it's been, um, I don't want to say funny because I know that pain Aaron, uh, but it it was a little (laughs) ironic. I'll, I'll put it that way. Um, yeah. You know, I tried to ride ride that same momentum uh, last week, and and I felt the the stars were aligning for me. I I finally picked the Buccaneers to win a game, and they won. And then you know they they go into a divisional matchup at home against the Saints, who they've split with every year since 2014, having already lost the first game. So it's like, all right. They're starting to put it together. Jamel Dean just had a great game. Vernon Hargraves won't be covering Michael Thomas, so that's going to help. And it's our turn to win, so I'm going to go ahead and pick the Bucs, and that blew up in my face. So, as, as I alluded to at the beginning of this episode, I am going to pick the Falcons. I do think the Falcons get the job done at home. You know, Dirk Cutter gets to leave with a smile on his face. Uh, but I agree with you. I think it's going to be close. And I'm going to pick the Falcons to win 35 to 34. Uh, yeah, this is a Buccaneers team that's giving up an average of 31.9 points per game. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. I don't think that that streak ends you know now i i don't think they they keep the Falcons below that mark. Uh, not with Julio and and Ridley. You know, those guys are so explosive, and and we know the nightmares of Julio Jones. When is that guy going to retire? Because I've about had it with him. Um, <laughs> you know, it, as much as it pains me to do so, and I do think it comes down to who has the ball last. 
you know, is it is it going to be the Bucks having the ball last, trying to get in position for Matt Gay to kick that game-winning field goal, or is it going to be the Falcons breaking Bucks fans' heart where Jameis will get them a lead in the fourth quarter again, and the defense will implode and allow a a you know last two last three minute uh, fourth quarter comeback to to Matt Ryan, but I'll stick with it. Falcons win this one, 35-34, and then. You know, the Bucs will get him back in week 17 when it doesn't matter and it tanks the draft. Okay. Uh, <laughs> we'll see how, how well that prediction holds up. We'll, we'll, what conversation we'll be having, uh, what are we, five weeks away from that? So, yeah, we'll see what yeah. what, what happens on Sunday and, and sort of uh, – I'm sure whatever happens on Sunday, we'll flip it for week 17. So that'll be the fun thing. Yep, absolutely. And of course, we'll be uh, we'll be chatting about that on Twitter. All Bucks and Falcons fans, welcome to chime in. You can, of course, follow Aaron at Falc fans. That's F or is it at fans or fan? Fans. Yeah. F-A-L-C-F-A-N-S. Okay, And then I am at J Yarko underscore bucks and of course make sure you are checking out the locked on falcons and locked on bucks podcast aaron my man it was a pleasure as always looking forward to doing this again uh right around new year we'll we'll have a little post christmas show and and uh you know get ready to ring in the new year with one another for the uh the second year in a row here yeah absolutely i'm looking forward to it All right, Aaron, again, thank you so much. And we thank each and every one of you for joining us right here on Crossover Wednesday. Labels out here, now they can't tell me nothing. We give it to the people, spread it across the country. Here we go back, this is the moment, tonight is the night. We'll fight till it's over, so we put our hands up like the ceiling can.